Welcome to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. On this episode, John Bruno, the VP of Commerce Strategy at Pros, is back with us with more B2B insights. For those joining our conversation with John for the first time, check out our previous episodes on my website. We discuss effective B2B omni-channel marketing and how pros can make this reality for marketers. We also talk about the future of e-commerce marketing and how B2B marketers can leverage dominating trends. On today's episode, we'll discuss how B2B marketers can create competitive marketing strategies. Another thing I want to touch on with you is with B2B marketers, um, how can they stay competitive, right? Because we talk about what needs to happen. I mean, obviously, the, the airline industry, last time I checked, they have a lot of money, right? I don't know how much they have now, but I know they do have a lot of money, right? Historically, to be able to invest. What, um, I mean, how can you be B2B marketing? Like, how can people compete? Like, what do you think? I want to know, actually, this is what I want to know. I want to know how the, actually, the pandemic has affected B2B marketing. Like, what do you think that that this pandemic and the, the whole COVID-19 thing, how has it affected B2B? Yeah, it's affected B2B in a, in a couple different ways. I think one of the ways that has kind of become front and center is, um, you know, thinking about the service in addition to the actual products that you offer as well. And the service could be a couple of different things. The service could be, you know, your ability and in, in how you actually get product from point A to point B. So you might want that product, but, you know, my ability to do that in this kind of world, I mean, it could be mm-hmm. a little bit different. The other way that I, I think uh, the pandemic has affected B2B marketers as well is, you know, just like this podcast, you know, we're, we're chatting over digital technologies and whether you wanted to or not, that's the reality of life in, in 2020. So, you know, where you don't have the same influence, let's say over a field sales force or, you know, some distributor that, that's out there, you know, your customers are, are doing more of a pull than you're being able to do more of a push. And so where do they go for that pull? And if you're in some sort of specialized market, they're going to have to go to you and somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. So increasingly we're seeing, you know, marketplaces like Amazon and others start to act like Google did in the early days of e-commerce or B2C, where it kind of was an aggregator of sorts. And so for B2B marketers, I think, you know, when it comes to product in, in place as well, you know, you want to think about the places that your customers are already going. So if they're going to Amazon, do you want to put all of your products on Amazon? Or do you want to put enough on there and things that, you know, maybe you're, you feel more comfortable selling in that kind of low touch environment that you can create awareness or, you know, create uh, an entry level customer and ideally get them to swing over to your experience and kind of look at some of the more highly considered or more expensive or uh, products that need more research that, that go into the process. And so where do you think your customers are going for that pull activity? And how do you satiate enough of that so they become aware of who you are, recognize you for the value that you deliver, and then open up the gates to more direct engagement and a higher touch relationship? I love that. So, so that's, and I think I agree with that, right? Because it's obviously from the pull standpoint of like, hey, you need to be there. It's quick, quick, you don't need to push out as much. It's like making sure that you're there to when, when they're looking for that type of information. So for like a B2B marketers, like how can they make sure that their products stand out? Because you kind of touched on it a little bit. Like what would be what would be some pointers that you could say, hey, these are some of the things that you need to do. I mean, obviously you need to be in the place where your people are at, but like what are some other, some other good things you, you can throw out there for us? Yeah, I, I don't think that it's possible to overinvest in your product data right? Uh, Product data could be everything from all of your attributes, making sure that those attributes are aligned to where the product's going to show up. So for instance, you know, if if 
let's say I was a, a clothing manufacturer and I'm selling a piece of fabric that covers the lower half of your body, right? In my vernacular, I would call those pants. Mm. But if I'm going to sell those pants over in the UK, I'm going to call those trousers. Mm. And if I'm going to sell them elsewhere, I need to know how my customers are going to be interacting with that data. So making sure that my data is in tip top shape so that it's showing up with the appropriate queries that a customer might have. Secondly, it's about making sure that all of that data is enriched and actionable. So if I'm selling something, maybe I'm a distributor of electrical, plumbing, and HVAC equipment, you know, knowing the exact diameter of a pipe that I'm selling is going to be pretty important. Otherwise, mm. people might not be confident enough to actually complete that transaction. And then thirdly, it's the, the rich uh, assets that go along with it. You know, it's great if you have a product image. It's better if you have more product images and it's better if you have videos and, and PDFs as well. You know, the things that you can do to instill confidence in your buyer that they're making the right decision, you know, not that they're 70% confident and the product shows up and it's actually not what they need, you know, making sure that they are ultimately confident in the decision that they're making and can convert is going to be one of the biggest barometers for them coming back and doing more business with you. Yeah. So product data is where I would invest. No, and I think that makes total sense, especially when you talk about once again more, you know, whatever PDF on, you know, downloadable thing or, you know, once again, videos being awesome, uh, you know, because I think that's always been helpful for me when I'm going to purchase something, if it has a video, because I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is it. And then when I watch the video, I'm like, okay, this is exactly what I need. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. helps you get to a point where you're 70% sure and you're not ready to pull the trigger. And then all of a sudden you have a video or anything you can do once again, to stay in front of them and, and to educate them on why this is the right decision, I think is, is obviously very valuable. Um, so what is your, in your opinion, like, what is the recipe to create an effective B2B marketing strategy? Like what would be, and once again, you guys being the pros, literally the pros, the pros and the pros on the back end of this thing, um, what would you see? What do you, what do you, what do you recommend there? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's all about data, right? Mm-hmm. So in data manifests itself a number of different ways. You know, one of the luxuries a lot of B2B organizations have is they know who most their customers are. And they know when they interact with a new customer, how that type of customer would relate or or map to folks that they've done business with before. So a lot of talk about there about personalization with a capital P or AI and things of that nature, but it's actually much more in the wheelhouse, in my opinion, for B2B organizations than it is B2C organizations. And so there's, there's definitely the hard data that you have, um, the, the explicit data, if you will, and there's elements around the implicit data and in, in what the customer journey looks like. And I think that's the harder problem for B2B marketers because that's changing nearly by the day. You know, how customers will discover who you are, how customers will research, you know, the, the capabilities, the products, services that you bring to market, how customers formalize that commercial relationship with you, and, and ultimately how customers uh, start to use the product. So I think you'll see even more of an emphasis on the B2B side in terms of, you know, bringing a lot of that, that post-sale knowledge into the, the research, the discovery, um, and the kind of the transactional phases of the journey. So we talked about data, but one of the interesting things that I think B2B marketers can leverage too is ratings and reviews, right? If people who I know look like me because they're in similar industries, solving similar problems, are solving their problems with this product, you know, I, I think the, the customer journey is going to be uh, evolving a lot more. And there's a lot more that we can learn in terms of mapping out how that whole life cycle uh, is happening. 
Yeah, I think that that is so key to the, the customer journey and what they're doing, what they see along that way and that process and being a part of that process, right? To better understand that so that you're telling them, hey, you got to make a right turn here, make a left turn here. Hey, now you need to go ahead and click and buy. I think is important. I mean, we talk about the customer journey, but I don't know if people really understand what that entails. I mean, that customer journey can be, especially in a B2B situation, can be lengthy, right? And you want to make sure that they're mm-hmm. not going and veering off the path. And when it's like raising a kid, you know, you want to kind of, oh, no, no, go this way. No, 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 no. I kind of do this. And then you're like, hey, now we get to a point where they're in college or getting married or whatever that is. It's the same thing with B2B. It's like, how do you under- better understand what that, what that customer is going through and then how you're going to once again be able to get them to the finish line to be able to get something. And there's more weapons at your disposal too. Of course, there's your your website. There's things that you can do around search engine optimization and you know targeting the right keywords and things of that nature. But to a certain extent, because you have the relationships that exist already, you're going to rely on old-fashioned human beings as well. So a call center rep or a salesperson is also going to play a role in that customer journey and how you kind of mature that customer experience with 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 each account that you do business with and. So it's, it's this interesting blend of digital and analog coming together as well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I used the example of raising a kid and you said there's weapons. And I was like, oh, interesting. I didn't know yeah. that we could use weapons on kids, but I, I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, I guess if it helps, you know, tailor them, become better people, but that's good to know. I think it was probably made more sense on the pro side of things than that. But yeah, I got you. I got you. On that note, John, allow me to pause the conversation for a minute to talk to our listeners. Okay, guys, remember that you can hire my team and I for services including influencer marketing, online PR, content marketing, and more. You can also contact us for consulting or fully managed services. To get more information, check out our website at shanebarker.com. That's S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-K-E-R.com. Now back to John and our conversation about effective B2B marketing. So what, um, in regards to like B2B uh, marketing campaigns. Are there any campaigns out there that you've seen either, you know, current campaigns or past campaigns that you were really impressed with that you were like, man, that's like, like, nah, they know what they're doing. They're doing it right. And it probably, probably is a pros client, which I don't, I don't doubt because you guys have been around before AI was called AI. So hit me, hit me with some good stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that I, I've seen work really well, and I, I won't disclose, I, I can't disclose who it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that I've seen really well is it was a play on the company's name. And it was a play on the company's name and, and really hit at a different side of, of business as well. I and, mean, you know, I mentioned earlier that B2C tends to be more emotional than, than B2B. But there is an element of B2B that you want to feel good about partnering with the businesses that, that you choose to, to partner with. And so, you know, do they hold some of the same, you know, core values that, mm. that we hold? Um, are they, you know, representative of the kinds of people that, that we want to be associated with? And so I, I saw recently this, uh, this manufacturer, of, uh, manufacturer of HVAC equipment actually have a play on their name mm-hmm. that talked about kind of some of those core values. And they put that front and center. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing that you see as a, as a prospective buyer is, yeah, you know, I, I like who they are. I like who they represent. I like the values that they espouse. Let me see what they have to offer. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that, uh, a lot more of character, uh, of company values come through, of the desire to you know, support others who you think are doing good things. And uh, that was probably the most interesting campaign that I saw because you know, I'm not a buyer of, of that kind of equipment, but I clicked through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, that's, and I think that's what's cool about it is that, you know, it, it's, there's, 
especially these days, I mean, that's, we talk about like, you know, food to farm to fork and all this kind of stuff where, and I'm seeing that an example of like, you want to know once again, where your food comes from, or you want to know mm-hmm. the company that you're working with, what are their core values on certain things? And does it resonate with what, what your core values are? And I think before in the past, I don't think it was that big of a deal necessarily, but now I think it's definitely become a big deal of like, Hey, that could be a deciding factor, right? Assuming that, mm-hmm. hey, that your core values are going to be aligned with my core values. Cause I want to spend my money with a company that supports things that I support. Um, and mm-hmm. that can be, that could be a, a slippery slope, but, uh, you know, I guess depending on, on which side you're on, but, um, I love that. I love the fact that that's, you know, that's something that once again, that you can put out there and say, Hey, this is, you know, I don't think it's, there's anything wrong with saying, Hey, this is, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. And these are the kind of people we like to work with. And so I think there's, there's definitely some value to that with, for consumers to be able to, you know, be, understand that, Hey, they it resonates with them or it puts them at ease with their making the right decision because the, the core values are there. So John, this is, this has been awesome, man. Like I said, I, I was super excited about this interview today, just because I, I looked around you guys, once again, have been around for almost what, 30 years. And the fact that you, what you guys have been doing and the fact that you guys are the ones that are doing the stuff with the airlines. I mean, just, I think it shows the, the complexity of what you guys can build and the complexity of what you guys have, have built um, to this day. And so I do appreciate, once again, if there's any way to hook me up with cheaper airline tickets or anything like that, I mean, you know, just send me the code or whatever I need to do. We can do a secret handshake or whatever needs to happen there. If you don't have that intel, that's that's still okay. We can still be friends and I'll still come out to Boston. We can watch Goodwill Hunting and have a, a beer or something like that. But I do have a few other questions for you for where late would go. So I, I always like to ask people about, about traveling. And so that's one of the questions that I ask is like, if there was one place you could travel to for free, and this would be obviously be a COVID free environment, you wouldn't have to wear a mask and do all the fun stuff that we have to do here in 2021, which blows people away. Cause I don't even know if people remember what that's like anymore. Uh, where would that be? And what would you do there? Oh man, that's a good one. Can it anywhere. be some place that I've been before? Or... Yeah, yeah. Nobody needs to know. It's a secret. Yeah. Wherever, wherever you want to go, bud. I would say one of the most magical and underrated places that somebody could go would be uh, Southern Bavaria in Germany, where all the castles are. Really? Uh, you know, you, they've got, you know, all of the castles from, you know, the, the former heads of state in, uh-huh. in Germany over the years. And interestingly, if you do your, your research, uh, that there's a castle down there and I'll, I'll, I'll butcher the name uh, because my German's not very good. Uh, it's something along the lines of Neuschwanstein. Uh-huh. And it is the inspiration, believe it or not, for the Cinderella castle at, at Disney. Really? And, you know, when it was being built, instead of hiring an architect, they had hired a, a set designer from kind of like theater and stage companies because it wanted to be so romanticized and, and over the top that that was actually more important than kind of the architectural components that, that made up the castle. So it's a beautiful area. It's, it's rural and farmland and mountainous, but the, the beauty and serenity there is, uh, is beyond compare. That's funny. So I've only been to Germany once and it was, I was traveling with some friends of mine. So we really didn't make it past the Hofbrau. I mean, we didn't make it past the, you know, the beer there. So that was, but that sounds awesome. Like I didn't know there was, that's why I ask people these kind of questions. Cause I honestly, it's, it's partly for my audience, but it's really 80% for me. So I can write down a place that I haven't been to and add it to my top 10 list, which is like now a top 30 list. Cause I can't seem to go anywhere at this point. But so, okay. With that being said with that, what, what would be, what would be a superpower? If you could have one superpower and this can be, you know, an X-Men type superpower, it can be 
something off the wall can be whatever. What would be, I mean, other than the superpower of what you guys currently do, and that's to figure out everybody's behavior and make them buy stuff. That's a superpower in its own. But let's talk about you. Let's talk about you as an individual. What would be your superpower? Yeah, I would say uh, the ability to manipulate time, mm. freeze time, rewind time, fast forward time. You know, there are a lot of experiences in life that I've been fortunate enough to have and love to kind of go back and, and replay those. You know, there are some really exceptional moments that I just wish I could pause and kind of uh, sit in and, and soak up for as long as possible. And then there's global pandemics that I wish I could just fast forward through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm all for that, man. Let me know if that little, what was the movie? Wasn't it um, Adam Sandler? Like the clicker one or? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like rewind though. No. Click something. Yeah. Something had... about click or remote, something along those lines. Yeah. And that was, that was a little kind of funny gimmicky, but I, I like your point of like saying, Hey, that's going to, that's, this is an important point. Can I go back to and really soak it in? Cause I don't think a lot of times we have experiences in life and I don't think, you know, a lot of times you don't think about what it is until it's after you're like, God, that was really cool. Or God, I really wish I could have like soaked that in and realized the magnitude of what happened there. Or even a loved one, if something was to happen, like, oh, that would be nice if we had, you know, 20 more minutes or something like that. So I love that. That's a great, I, I, nobody's ever said that superpower. I do. I like that. That's something that would, there was some way to vote that in to give you that superpower. I would just, you know, I would vote hands down to give you that superpower. And then, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'll, I'll tell my family to vote for it as well. Um, so what about favorite books? Got any favorite books or podcasts that you listen to religiously? Anything fun? Oh man. Uh, favorite books. Um, there's a book that I probably read religiously once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of ties back to my, my prior role where I ran a product organization, but it's uh, Ben Horowitz's The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm. And it really talks about, it gives you an appreciation for building or delivering great products that there's just such a need for out in the market. It's a, it, it kind of has made me obsessed about problems. Mm. That sounds a little weird. So, you know, really have a deep appreciation for the problems and pain points that exist in a given market in delivering the absolute best solution to solve those problems. Um, and it's something that I kind of remind myself uh, with by reading each year to kind of maintain that same frame of mind. Well, and I think the thing is with your position as VP, I mean, you you have to be fixated on that. Like to me, that would be to have, to have the guy that says, well, I mean, I'm intrigued by it. That's not the VP. The VP needs to like, to the point where you're probably, you know, where you go get the tattoo, this is something like I fix problems or something like that, you know, like across your chest or something. I'm not recommending you do that, but I'm just saying, right, you need the, the person that says, listen, this is the kind of things that keep me up at night. And this is the kind of stuff I want to figure out. And I think that's that's what it's going to take to, to be able to go into 2021 and even further on to be able to make this accessible for businesses to be able to do that, right? And I think you, you couldn't have a better person at the helm of the VP doing doing that for pros, man. So congratulations on your guys' success over there. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you guys, hey, if you guys like this podcast, um, oh, actually, no, wait. Before, before we go to that. John, if anybody needs to get in contact with you, my friend, or wants to know more about pros, where can they get some information about that? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So you want to learn more about pros, uh, it's www.pros.com, P-R-O-S, pretty straightforward. Check us out. We're uh, pretty active on Twitter as well. As far as uh, myself, um, I love engaging with folks. So you can find me uh, probably most actively on Twitter at John underscore Bruno. Or shoot me an email, my pros email address. It's jbruno at pros.com. And quick question. How did you guys always have pros.com, the URL? Do you know? As long as I can remember. Okay. Yeah. 
I'm the only reason I'm asking this is I'm a kind of a, I used to be a domain name buff. And so I'm always interested in like, people are like, no, I paid $7 million for it. I wish I would have had it 12 years ago. So I just was curious if you guys had maybe, had, you know, had picked it up, had it a long time ago, or if you had to pay some exuberant amount was of money. It wasn't any it. sort of crazy thing to outbid people for the domain name. So we've got okay. some time. Yeah, I was curious. I always like to hear that. Oh, we, not that people paid too much, but that, you know, somebody made some money off the domain name. Cause I used used to own a ton of domain names and I was trying to sell them. And I just always like to hear those funny stories. So anyways, John, pleasure of having you on the podcast, buddy. Once again, you guys keep up the good work over there at Pros. Um, and you guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to it. Please go ahead and click that subscribe button. And if you really like the podcast, you can even write a comment. And that would be only good comments. If you would like to have a bad comment, then don't write a bad comment. You can email that to me. And we can discuss why you have those feelings. Um, John, once again, buddy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really, really appreciate taking time out of your busy day and we'll be chatting you soon. Thank you. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode and I hope you now have enough tips to improve your B2B marketing strategies. It was a pleasure speaking to you, John. Thank you for your time. Stay tuned to the Marketing Growth Podcast because next week we host another digital marketing guru.